Hello and thank you so much for tuning into the Education Burrito, podcast that unwraps the everyday challenges in learning and teaching in education, exploring the ins and outs and highs and lows and different pedagogy approaches, enhancing student engagement amongst everything in education. My name is Q Sun, and each episode I'll be joined by special guests as we unwrap the Education Burrito. I'm super excited to be joined in this episode by someone who is a researcher with interest in academic literacies, peer mentoring, creative learning and teaching methods, inclusion, visual narratives, identity and qualitative research. With a background in education, social sciences, social work and nursing, they are very much passionate about empowering students with a focus on promoting the idea of writing to learn. They are also a certified practitioner in learning development by the Association for Learning Development and Higher Education, a Higher Education Academy Fellow and Scientific Board Member for the International Conference on Education in Mathematics, Science and Technology. A member of the Teaching Academy in their own institution, they also launched a teaching and learning online network known as Talon, where they list a variety of resources for online teaching and learning for design instructors and for others who are interested in taking their work online, which I think we have learned a lot during this pandemic. And most recently, they were awarded the Team Teaching Award in 2020 by their institution. Oh, but the most fascinating thing is that they are my very first guests who I'm speaking with, who is in a completely different time zone to me. Can you guess who is joining me today? It's the wonderful Dr. Sandra Abeglin. Sandra, welcome to your podcast. Welcome, Q. How are you doing, Sandra? I'm doing very well. So as you said, it's morning here, it's afternoon at yours. So excited to be joining you. Oh, perfect. So just for the, um, the listeners, so you are actually based in Canada, am I right? I'm based at the University of Calgary in Calgary that's close to the Rocky Mountains, which people may have an idea of. We have at the moment snow and it's outside minus 15 to give the UK listeners an idea. So a very different sort of context, but we do very similar things as in other um, higher education institutions, very much focused on teaching and learning. Wow, you've got snow. (laughs) I'm kind of really wrapped up warm here because I'm absolutely a bit cold in this room, even though I've kind of got layers of blankets over me at the moment. (laughs) Okay, brilliant. So I've been following you and the work that you've done in with your colleagues um, on peer support and mentoring. And that's kind of one of the areas that I really want to find out more about the work that you do as well. So perhaps just to give our listeners a bit of background, um, how did you first get involved in this work? I've lived in the UK for a while, so moved to Canada about two and a half years ago. And that's where my work um, around peer mentoring, mentoring, student staff partnerships, co-learning, co-creation started. So I was based at London Metropolitan University in London. And there I was a lecturer in education studies and education and social policy. So students that had a plan or an idea to go into education themselves, either become teachers, become mentors, become youth workers, become community workers. So different pathways where they would lead people to, you know, learn, but also then teach themselves. So 
in those courses, there was a lot of emphasis on thinking about what education is, um, what schooling is, if it's the same, if um, there is a difference between the two, um, but also thinking about pedagogies on how you learn, how you get people to learn, how you teach. These sort of questions were really, really big. As part of that, um, we launched a program that's been called Peer Mentoring in Practice, and that was tailored to those education courses. It was second year students signing up for a model called Peer Mentoring in Practice, and they would look after first year students on those courses. The second years would be taught mentoring tools and approaches. They would have the background, the theory, but also we did lots of hands-on stuff with them in the classroom. So we would try out, we would role play, we would do creative exercises and activities. So we would try out with them how things may work, but also took around issues, you know, what if things become difficult? What if they struggle to support somebody? And then they would actually go out and meet their peers the first years, and they would work with them in small groups, not alone, but always in a pair at least, and, and they would support a group of, of first years. And the second years would get credit for that learning. They would be assessed on the theoretical part of that, the first years would obviously learn from the second years. They would get study support, but also they would get pastoral support. So that's how it started. And we felt, or I felt, there is a strong need for students that go into education to actually have practical experience early on and also to experience what it means to work with others so with their peers as co-mentors, but also with their mentees the first years. And so thinking around teamwork, collaboration, co-creation, and, and, you know, not just talk about it, but, but also experiencing it. So that was the first step into that. And that was a really successful model. And as I know, it's still going. Oh, that's brilliant. Um, you've touched a, well, a lot of stuff there in terms of the first years, learning from second years. And it's that kind of empowering students, you know, get, giving them that ownership um, during their studies to really engage with other students and not just learn the knowledge and then keep it them, from themselves. And I quite like that. And just a follow up question then on, on that. How, how did you kind of recruited students to join the scheme? Or was it in a way that they just saw this advertisement or you telling them, oh, I've got this um, initiative and I would love to have students to find out what their needs are and whether or not learning with others is, is something that they would like rather than me as an educator talking at them. In that, in that way, it was quite straightforward because it, we bound it into the, the whole course curriculum. So they could choose that as part of their studies and they would gain credits for, for the second years would gain credits for that. So they could select it as they could select other, other options um, in, as part of their program. And recruitment was quite straightforward because students just, just loved it. <laughs> so, so it's been really successful in that way that it recruited itself. Lots of the first years then as ones we've got running, you know, they said at the end of the first years, I really want to do that. I want to be a mentor myself. And, and they would straight away sign up. And so recruitment for that was easy. 
but also you said empowering students and we launched a little bit later a second initiative at London Met also for those courses and that was mainly my brainchild where I said you know this is quite structured and more formal we need also something as you say more informal where students really take the lead on what they do and so I set up the education cafe and that would be a weekly drop in over lunch where students just could come in sit down have their lunches and talk to each other talk to their lecturers but also we invited you know librarians along other support staff and and they would often just be there and have their own lunch so quite an informal setting and as we went along students would take more and more ownership of that cafe so we listen to students coming in and sometimes they said you know really it's coming to the end of the year we have lots of assessments can we do not more on you know essay writing for example and so we would listen to them and then specifically invite people in where they feel they felt they had a need or a wish to hear more about sometimes even external people that you know would would talk about initiatives um, opportunities to volunteer and then students would take over and they would lead their own sessions where they, you know, planned a lot of social things as well, like quiz days or, you know, a sharing of food from different areas um, of the world. Something now difficult to imagine with the age of COVID, but at that time that was possible. So they would do a lot of things themselves and, and slowly but surely take over the cafe and it's still going to this day and that makes me really, really happy. So these education courses still have their education cafe. It changed its name by now because it now runs online, but it's still an informal drop-in where students just have a Zoom slot where they can log in and join and, you know, discuss and various people will be there. Sometimes there will be just students groups. I would say that truly empowered students, you know, to fit around or have a place and a space and the time to do things, you know, they felt was of value to them, that was of, of importance to them, and that was of use to them. I would say these two were running in parallel, and I didn't feel, you know, there is an overlap or there is a overload sometimes you know students say oh there's too much going on but I really felt the more informal really complemented the more structured slash lecture-led program. Oh that's brilliant the cafe um, at London Met is still going strong despite you're not there anymore and what a legacy you're leaving behind as well. So if we go back to that kind of partnership in terms of in a peer mentoring that you mentioned and touched on earlier on as well how do you think that impacts in terms of the partnership has extended, you know, the experience for students um, when they're at university and for staff who are a part of the initiative? I mean, working with others, I, I would say, is, is key um, in any subject, so not just in, in education. So I think sharing knowledge, sharing skills, sharing, you know, practice, forming a community of practice is so important for those that starting off in academia, where they chosen to become. And so I think it's important that people are able to link up with other people. In that case, students linking up with other students, students within their own cohort, but also with, you know, the cohort in that case, the year below. So I think that that's really important and it empowers students 
that they gain what the others know and what the others have experienced. So, so it's a real exchange. So I think it's both mentor and mentee really profiting from that. And I would say in my case, you know, I'm advocating not just that students do it. So it's also important for um, lecturers and members of staff to, to actually link up with each other and, you know, work in partnership. There's so much in it, especially now that we're all online and, you know, we are all sitting in our own little spaces at home. And it's tricky to connect. And so I say even more so now, it's important that we are linking up with each other and that we are supporting each other, be that student to student, staff to students and staff to staff. So, so I think it's a very important element beyond teaching of content. And I just think it's important that we don't forget that human element of education, something which I'm strongly advocating for. So a university that is humane and inclusive I think can't do without any sort of mentoring or partnership program where people have a chance to, you know, link up with each other, be that formal or more informal. Mm, definitely. You've picked up a lot of good points there, Sandra, and like the fact that you mentioned about that sense of belonging, that connection with others um, and not just with students, but with all, um, staff. And I've had those experience um, at university when I did those partnership programs and I found that 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 peer support and that peer mentoring even though there was not a kind of a de definite scheme that I was in but it was that just peer-to-peer -peer support that I was able to get to know about other students as well and they supported me and likewise I got to know other staff and when you mentioned about writing things together in groups yes that is difficult <laughs> I, when I've been in those projects when it has been difficult in terms of working in groups when you don't know each other very well. You don't physically, you know, you're not in the same room. And it was a challenge, but actually it was a good learning project. I think a good learning skill or experience for me because I got to know how others were writing, um, whether or not they had more or less writing skills and experience. And more so when I was working with staff and they obviously published a lot more than I did. And I kind of found that peer mentoring and peer support is more than just with your own peers, you know, with your own students in your class, but with others as well. And it's that sense of belonging that I found, um, that I belong somewhere through doing a project or, or yes, with um, other people as well. So yes, you touched a lot and really highlighted the kind of the benefits in terms of peer support. So I just want to kind of touch on one thing um, that you've mentioned as well um, in terms of the work that you do at your institution. What influences your work? Because I don't remember asking you that at the beginning. So I kind of really want to know what influences your work, you know, the work that you do as a researcher. As you've seen, I have a very varied background. Um, so there is social research in there. There is education in there. But it always had to do with people. So that's really at the core of what I do. Um, I always say like I'm in a people profession and I'm a people person. So apart from, you know, all the content I teach and, and the subject areas I'm interested in, I think that's the, that's the core of my work. So around that, we could say, you know, it goes around inclusion, equity, collaboration, co-creation, partnership. It's also about experiential learning, creativity and play. We haven't talked so much about that. So I'm really strongly advocating for 
things that expand and stretch and extend possibly the curriculum and give students of different backgrounds, of different abilities, different interests a chance to succeed. And, you know, I think one important element is is certainly connecting with each other. But also I think instructors can do a lot there to, to facilitate. And, you know, yes, working with others can be very, very challenging. <laughs> but if we can reflect on that, if we can talk about that, um, we can all gain a lot and we can actually move forward. So there's a lot of reflection in there that um, is often needed, self-reflection, but also reflection with each other on how things are going, where they might should be going, where they might be going wrong. So a lot of communication needed in that. At the moment, um, my, my focus is on, on how do we do that online? I've done a lot of work in the actual classroom um, where you can role play, when you talk with people, you move around the room, you see each other, you sit down with each other. Um, I often have a tray of materials I bring with me, pens, paper, pencils, and then um, all the other creative bits and bobs where people sometimes think, oh, what is she doing? So a lot of material I usually carry around. I was, um, or I am well known for that. I usually come more with a suitcase than a little briefcase. So that's no longer possible online. So, so my thinking is, how can we facilitate all this, the belonging, the creative, the embodied online? So at the moment, I'm working on, on a project that's called Talon. You mentioned that, the Teaching and Learning Online Network that really came out of our institution having to go with the whole region into lockdown and move to remote teaching and learning and, and the immediate need to do that. And then, you know, now the longer term goal to think about how can we not just move the content, but, you know, the humane element of that education online. Oh, that's brilliant. And I love the fact you touched on um, bringing the fun to the session and especially when we were able to have things in person face to face I can just imagine you carrying down a suitcase down to the corridor and people following you into those sessions but you've mentioned also now everything is online how do you think that's the work that you do in terms of the peer support and mentoring has changed now we're going online has that been different I would say the first step probably I would Everybody did and um, where everybody settled into is the conferencing softwares everybody is on now nearly 24-7 where you have calls with each other and you can see each other, you can talk to each other, you can share materials, which I think is a good way to connect and, you know, set up sessions and, you know, support, offer support. But really, I'm interested in how also we can utilize or maybe find other ways to do that. So at the moment, we look at a lot around application and tools. We try to figure out how else, you know, you could collaborate or communicate. For example, there is something called the Zoom fatigue. People just log in and they do their housework and they're hoovering and whatever they need to do in the back. And students may do their other assignments and they just have it on. And how can we bring the engagement in and the fun in and the creative in and where students feel or even instructors feel it's not so much a chore, 
but it really is a benefit to be online and you know have a connection with with that other person so so we're experimenting with different tools and we put together an a to set list of that but also we we talk a lot to to other people of what they're doing and it and how how they do it i think together as instructor and students we we can come up with other extended ways of doing it and i think it's still early days for that but i'm really really hopeful and pushing for for more in that regard we're experimenting with with open zoom calls where people just can drop in and out more like cafe session um, where people actually don't need to sit but can move around but then also other tools people can post or write um, where they can comment on each other's more playful stuff I mean gaming software and applications um, are big too um, how can we you know maybe do it playful um, we can do a scavenger hunt together online um, we can do these sort of things we go on virtual travels together so trying out these things then we try to summarize a little bit of that in in, in letters so yeah I think there is a real need these days to push that forward. Um, online learning teaching exists for a very long time. There's a lot of institutions that have in, have done it successfully for a very long time. But I think the majority of us is only just starting to catch up. Brilliant. Thank you for sharing with that, um, Sandra. So you've touched on a lot of benefits in terms of the peer mentoring and the peer support in higher education. But how about the risks are there any risks that can bring, you know, for peer mentoring and peer support into the educational spaces? It's always risky if humans connect with humans, <laughs> but generally there is a lot of beauty in that. And I just think it's something we can't avoid and which we shouldn't avoid. And I just think we can pretend it not to happen or we can pretend it's just a side thing. But I just think if we tackle it heads on and we say we're actively working together, we actively ask students to work together, then we can also, you know, mitigate those risks. And as you said, you know, it's, it's challenging to do group work. Um, there's a lot of theory around that. If you put a group of people in a room <laughs> that they go through stages, for example, and that's normal because we're humans. And if you can make that transparent with a group and you say it's not something that's unique and it's not unique to have struggles along the way, these struggles are needed to actually move forward and you can address those struggles together, then I think it, it's a lot of benefits. So if people say, is it risky? I say, I wouldn't say it's risky. I would say it's only risky if you don't address it. So if you say to students, here is the task, it's group work, start. And I just have an interest in whatever you come up with. You usually um, see that the groups get very unhappy and, and that the groups really struggle. And there is a lot of squirreling around the grade because it's unfair and it's not acknowledging. And so, so I think if we do that then yes I would say it's risky and and if we are proactive then I think I would say we can mitigate those risks definitely and I can put my hands up there to say that group work is difficult and I I, I could have been in those situations where you've just described literally where we might 
feel not so much complain but feel a bit uneasy about the grey system but anyhow that's a completely different conversation um okay then so if we round up then and kind of think about um you know there's some of our listeners who might not have had peer support initiative or they're looking to start this peer support initiative in their own institutions what would you say Sandra's top three tips to get started I would say do a lot of reading around it. Google will really reveal a lot of resources, a lot of um, great initiatives. Um, A lot of um, institutions do have some sort of scheme and there is different ways of doing it and, and, you know, see what are your students' needs, what are your institutions' needs, what are your own needs, and then try to, you know, pitch a program or put together a program that fits. But then also I would say, definitely talk to the people you want to involve in. So um, rather than top down, you know, bottom up, um, sit with your students and, you know, talk to them. Um, What do they need? What do they want? And sometimes it's more informal. Sometimes, yes, they're happy to get actually awarded credits for it or be assessed on it. So there's different ways of doing it and, and talk to them. I mean, there are the ones that will, you know, participate in it. And then I would also say as a third thing, surely, you know, do work with others yourself. I mean, it's hard to talk about it and, you know, (laughs) run an initiative. Um, There is great programs out there where academics, you know, mentor academics and where you can learn from your peers or whether you could ask even informally a colleague to drop in into your sessions these days maybe virtually and you know give you some feedback on 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 things or you know give you some tips and hints so try it out yourself so if you ask students to do it um you know i would say you know try out what can it do and what can it do and what can't it do for you and learn from that too and and be self-reflective so often people set demands um, and say you know write together or come up with that together but never done it before and I would say try it out Um, if you suggest something you know participate um, yourself maybe together with colleagues before really lounging it so that's kind of my top tip. So, so surely read around it. Then also, you know, talk to the ones and get them involved that you're actually aiming it at and then trying it out yourself. So that's kind of my top three. Oh, that's perfect. So if we're looking to ahead into the future, then how do you think your work will evolve as higher education changes? very tricky questions we don't quite know what's going to happen tomorrow (laughs) so we're going in and out of lockdowns in different parts of the world um, with the pandemic Um, I think at the moment we need a lot of care a care for each other um, uh, a lot of flexibility for each other going forward I would say we should take those two things actually with us so care and flexibility and then I would say I always wish um, to go back into the classroom if the situation allows, if it's safe enough to do so. I have to say here in Calgary, we teach remotely since March. So there is a hope for that to happen. But then also, I think there is a lot of potential online. There is a lot of opportunities. 
as we do, you know, we can speak with each other in different parts of the world. And we do that maybe a bit more now than we did before. So we're all used to, to, to having that software and we are used to <laughs> communicate that way, slowly but surely. So there's benefits in that. But as that, you know, there's work to be done for the virtual classroom um, to be successful. So I would say, I hope we do go back into meeting face to face. But in the meantime, I would say we should embrace how the situation is, care for each other. And then, you know, take it in a flexible way. I would say I'm open to online blended hybrid. I just say, you know, we need the connection bit there. We need the partnership there. We need the human element there. We need the play and we shouldn't forget to also, you know, have a little bit of fun beyond just focusing on exams and essays. So you've mentioned fun. So why don't we end this episode with a bit of fun. I've got a list of question here. Uh, it's going to be a quick short firing round for our listeners and for myself to know you a bit more. These are just random short questions that hopefully will give you short, easy answers. Uh, but we'll see how it goes. So are you ready, Sandra? I'm ready. <laughs> question one, tea or coffee? Coffee for sure. Never without the coffee. For sure? Yeah. <laughs> Invisibility or super strengths? super strength why it's just added because super women are cool i like super women so <laughs> they surely do have super strength and i think these days we do need a lot of strength um, with all these challenges so wishing that for everybody um yeah definitely super strength okay so if you are to pick one learning and or teaching platform or a tool what would it be mirror so the mirror board is a collaboration tool which so far, I enjoyed most um, a great little thing where you can be, I would say, rather creative. So it accepts um, uploading of materials, videos, files. Um, it also lets you see what other people are doing on there and you can kind of mix and mingle. And so it highlights, you can even text and message each other. And, and so I think it's quite a fitting tool for what I'm doing at the moment. Perfect. What do you do to recharge your energy after a long, stressful day of work? Coffee. <laughs> so, yeah, even evenings. Yes, sure, that does help. But also I like going outside. Um, here in Calgary, we have a beautiful landscape. Um, it's a mix of the Rockies on one side and the prairie on the other. And it's just simply breathtaking. Um, we have beautiful white skies and I just, you know, love going outside, going for a walk, going for a hike. That really helps me, you know, recharge my batteries. Oh, they just sound so wonderful. I can just picture myself there, you know, <laughs> hiking there. <laughs> but uh, unfortunately, I'm not there, which is a shame. But other than your phone then, what would be the one best thing to carry around to show students or colleagues in corridors? Well, it's my suitcase, obviously, <laughs> with all the creative bits and bobs. I also love to carry around a book. I just think I love books. Books are great. If I have five minutes somewhere, it's nice to just dip into sometimes a different world. So it can be a novel, but it can also be an academic book, reading up on a topic or an issue where I want to know more about. So, But it's also always good to have a piece of paper with you and some creative materials. And, and I always think it's good to carry that around, even though it's heavy. 
you, you, you'll need a lot of hands to carry so many things. Um, what, how about this one then? Three words to describe yourself as an educator. That's a tricky one. Um, I would say, well, it depends a bit on my perspective or on the student's perspective. <laughs> I would say I try to make my sessions engaging or, um, you know, chatty and always interested to hear more. So, so, you know, people would then maybe also say sometimes, you know, my things take a bit too long. <laughs> so I'm always interested to hear and listen. So, so if people start talking, it sometimes takes a bit longer. The other thing I would say maybe yeah, the, the one that does a lot of different things, that would probably be the third one. So my varied background, but my varied involvement in different things. So the hats I have on. Brilliant. Favourite music genre? I have to admit, I usually listen what the rest of my family is listening to. <laughs> at the moment, at the moment, I we drive a lot here in the car. I, I often listen to Jack, which is a radio station here in Calgary, and they play 70s, 80s, 90s music. And I quite like that at the moment. Okay, then. How about this one? Canada or UK? Oh, that's a mean one. Um, both are. <laughs> I had to throw that in. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm really at home in both, and I actually, you know, um, I have a passport. Uh, so, so I don't know. They're both home. Yeah, I wouldn't be able to choose actually. Um, I lived in the UK very long and I have a lot of dear people there, which I miss really, really a lot. And I have to say, if you if you add Switzerland into the mix, which is where I've been born and where my family lives, um, we have a truly difficult choice. <laughs> so, so I always say I have three homes. I feel at home in all three parts of the world and I have different traditions, food, customs adopted from all of them. So <laughs> I would say I'm unable to choose really because they mixed and they are mixed. Okay, just a few more to go questions. Um, how about this one? Alternative career that you secretly wish you had but never actually pursued? <laughs> I, I say I've, I've done a few career changes. They're all, all been people professions. So, so I changed around and I think there isn't actually anything I'd love to do more than work with people. And I love working with students. And at the moment, I also do some extra work in an elementary school. So with the very little ones from kindergarten to grade four. And it's truly amazing and I just love it. And so the alternative career, I don't think I want to do something else apart from working with, with learners and with, you know, other academics and lecturers on all levels. I just think education is wonderful and there's so many aspects to it. So yes, we can switch around in there, but no, I wouldn't choose anything else. Okay then, so who is your favorite learning and teaching hero then? Oh, there's many. I mean, the people that worked around an empowering education, um, freeing up education. So Bell Hooks, Paolo Freire, but then also John Dewey and the people working around experiential learning, people done work on the community of practice bit. I also love people who worked around 
around changing paradigms, like the grounded theory approach where you really start from scratch. I love creative people. I love a lot of artists and artistic people um, in all sorts of genres. So yeah, there's a lot of lot of mixing in, <laughs> in 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 what I like and what I think has influenced me. Okay then, and finally, because our podcast is called the Education Burrito, what's your favourite burrito feeling or feelings? I think a little bit the mix of everything. I think it has to have some wedge in, but then also I think I like a little bit of meat. I'm not a super meat person, but a little bit of meat. It definitely has to have the wrapping too. <laughs> so so without that, it's no burrito at all. So And I, a good sauce with a little bit of spice is definitely needed on top. Well, that's all we have time for in this episode. And if our listeners want to find out more about what you do, Sandra, how can they do so? Um, I would say I would send them first to the Talon website, which is taloncloud.ca. So that's taloncloud.ca. I have my own website, which is Sandra Abeklen. Um, you can Google it and it does come up. And I think that are the two, two main ones. And from there you find more. Uh, I run a blog on peer mentoring. Um, I am involved in other initiatives. So you find that out through that. That's brilliant. And again, a big, massive thank you to you, Dr. Sandra Abeglin, for sharing with us your work in peer support and mentoring. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Hugh. Thank you so much for your time and tuning into the Education Burrito. Make sure to hit the subscribe button on whichever platform you're listening on and be sure to like it and share it on social media, tagging us at the hashtag the Education Burrito. If you have enjoyed our chat today and fancy coming onto the show, no matter as a student or member of staff, do drop us a message as we unwrap learning and teaching in the Education Burrito.